Bench Racing Radio. Bench Racing Radio. The podcast with your hosts, Eric Gio and Anthony Leake. How's it going today, Anthony? It's going pretty good. I mean, coal may heat my home, but only you can warm my heart, Eric. Whoa. That's uh, it's aggressive. Well, what, what can I say? It's just so dang cold and snowy. I mean, I just, I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew how it all feels, you know, to just be, to be cared for in this wonderful podcast that we have together. Okay. That's cool. How about you, Eric? How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, man. Excellent. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't want to give the people the wrong idea or anything. Yeah, About what? You know. The fact that we co-host. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We're just not that there's anything wrong with that. What do you mean? We're just co-hosting <laughs> a podcast. That's all we're doing. That's all that I'm sharing right now is our passion okay. for this podcast. And I think everybody who's listening right now totally knows where I'm coming from, and that's all that matters in the end. But you know what did right. happen? Daytona 500. Yes, it did. And uh, and it was a, a pretty good one, you know. Everybody was talking about doom and gloom. The new car was going to be bad, and blah blah blah. And uh, it ended up uh, being pretty decent. It, it kind of seemed to me that the the natural speed in your car kind of did factor into it again, and it wasn't such a crapshoot. Yeah. Um. So you and, and that's what I like about that's what I like in a good. Uh, restrictor blade raises that you still have to have a good car to be able to run up front and it's not just you know some some turd from the back is just getting pushed up to the front and <laughs> and it just you know it, some some years it just doesn't seem to make a difference how good of a car a team brings so it wasn't that this year it was good uh penske's ran up front all day and and we're both in the running coming out of turn four and um yeah, Ricky got it done. It was pretty cool to see. What a what a bold move for that block, though. Usually that ends in complete disaster. And I'm not saying it didn't for the, some of those that were behind it, but, I mean, he easily could have taken himself out with that block move with Sindrick at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, that could have backfired, but he timed it just right. And, you know, he's lucky it was his teammate because anybody else probably would have just turned him. And, uh, and his teammate was – I mean, I feel bad for Blaney. He's finished second in the Daytona 500 three times now. Wow. And he hasn't been racing that long, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so he really wants to win one of those things. But, you know, it's a decent run. But like they say, nobody remembers who ran second, right? That's right. But, uh, but no, it was it was solid. I mean, I did get a pretty good kick out of uh, Kyle Busch's T-shirt he was wearing. I was just going to mention that. See, great minds think alike. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say the same thing. It was so funny. Just the... Every car owner's uh, favorite day of the year, and then just a little picture of a pile of money on fire. <laughs> oh my! I thought I, know, I thought man. I thought he had another another shirt too, didn't he? Or was it? I thought he had a gray shirt. Know, most, sorry, yeah, it was most expensive day of the year. Yeah, or, yeah, uh, most expensive yeah, race of the year, or whatever. Little, yeah, and a, a little pile of money on fire. That's yeah, what it was. <laughs> but uh, it was funny, man. I like think about that. You've got to have. You've got all this pressure to bring a really good car to try and win and at least half the field gets junked every time, mm. you know, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it's a tradition. It's a tradition. It. It's, it's, yeah, but it hasn't always been all about the big one. You know, there were crashes at those speeds, but not, you know, it's been well, about the big one for a very long time. I now. agree. It's been about the big one since what? 1987 was the first year of restrictor plates. So I mean, it, well, no, I mean it wasn't. It wasn't. It hasn't become that common in, since the last, you know, mid two thousands. It really started r- ramping up. I don't know. I think we might have to put some scholars on that and research when the first yeah. big one actually happened. We'll get the we'll get the crack research team on <laughs> on the case. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> we'll figure that yeah. out next time. But yeah, I mean, I would I would completely agree that definitely it's been about twenty to twenty five years where the big one is a thing, but I mean, I know, I mean, I know in 03 when I was watching almost every week of, of NASCAR at the couple level, you know, when we were at Talladega and Daytona, yeah, there was yeah, be tw- at least 20 years of the big one. I remember the, 
my most fondest memory of restrictor plate racing was Talladega. And I think it was the fall race in 2003. Maybe it was the spring race. I just remember I was working at the rental store, Sunset Music and Video. For those of you from Emo, you'd know what I'm talking about. The building doesn't exist anymore. And they did the, what is it, 288 laps they do at Talladega? And 188 is 188 or 180, not 280. What am I thinking? Because it's a little bit longer than Daytona, so it's a few less laps. Um, and they went green to checkered the entire race, yes, they crossed the line and then they all wrecked. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta try to find that video or which one that is, but I remember I was just I couldn't believe the race only took like an hour and a half because when it's green to checkered, it's it's not a long race. Yeah, they're going hundred. Yeah, yeah you're doing 195 uh, miles an hour to do 500 miles is not a long time, you know. Yeah, that was <laughs> who five, won that yeah. one. I think I think it was Martin. Mark Martin owns a, holds the record for the fastest NASCAR race ever run. Right. Um, I think he won that one. There, there was one in the late yeah. like that too. But yeah, no cautions, yeah. just a couple pit stops and rock and roll. Yeah, and then they all yeah. wrecked. I think twenty cars wrecked after they crossed the line. <laughs> like it was just a cluster mess. It was. It was actually kind of funny. I think I remember laughing, and I'm just like, "Oh my yeah. gosh, they're all wrecked!" <laughs> and the race was over. I guess it didn't matter because you know it was the end of the season for Talladega or Super Speedway racing. Everyone would be starting a new car anyway. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Oh, you wouldn't have had to, but. Yeah. Now they did. <laughs> now they did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You never know. Maybe that was a year where they had to make a bunch of real package changes over the over the winter. So uh, they figured be. just just talk there at the end. There used to be a thing. Uh, I follow Mike Hall on Twitter. He's uh, he's one of the the top dogs over at Chip Ganassi Racing on the IndyCar side, mm. and uh, and he's just got a great memory for all these crazy old stories. And uh, he was talking about how in the it was in the IRL cart days. I think it was in the cart series. Um, they You could take out insurance policies on mm. your chassis. If you junked a car during the race season, it was covered by your insurance policy. Wow. And so like, guys would just be driving like complete jackasses in the last race of the year because <laughs> they, you know, they hadn't already claimed their one chassis that they would get paid for. Yeah. <laughs> The, you know they could they didn't care if they junked it and uh you said yeah that that program didn't last very long i was gonna say maybe a few <laughs> years at the most yeah 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 it was a pretty tough uh <laughs> tough deal on their end i'm sure but, yeah yeah but, it, uh, it, yeah that's that's another one coming up here soon uh, next weekend is the season opener for indy cars so already that's... i thought they usually don't start till march yeah no they're uh they're getting ramped up huh. so is Jimmy yeah, Johnson was, running a full season again this year? He is. He finally oh. uh, he had a had a sit down with his wife, and uh, she let him run uh, run the full year. Wow, that's awesome! Because he wasn't he was he was afraid of running ovals for some reason. It's like, dude, that's the only thing you're going to be good at. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know so, what? I saw I saw some of his stats from the beginning of the year to the end of the road course uh, circuits that he did, and there was a measurable improvement from. Oh, the no, first huge, few huge. weeks to his to the end of yeah. the season i heard his average finish improved significantly yeah i know he, he was legitimately running a lot better towards the end of the year he still got a long ways to go to be you know fighting for a win at a right at a road course or a street circuit but uh i know I he, think he'll be in the mix on the ovals so it'll be but yeah. they don't even have that many ovals anywhere no, so they don't. You know, they've only got, uh, I think, three on this schedule. Okay. I know he did yeah. say at the end of the season that he said the hardest thing he had was getting getting used to the tracks. He just felt like he never had enough time to really get them the way he wanted. And I think that over time, he just started to naturally learn and understand that most of the tracks, while they have some uniqueness, there's some consistency on how you play them. And I think that that's just what it was, just familiarity over time. And and I know uh, when Steve Arpin, who I'm hoping someday will get on this program as well, um, had said that even with the ovals, when he was getting into the ARCA and the truck series, um, that it was, it was difficult for him 
at these new big tracks to to adjust in the short amount of practice time that you had before you went to go racing and that he did improve when he went to that track again a second time especially if there's two run in the same year texas for example that you know there was a market improvement in uh, in his ability to 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 run the track the second time around with more seat time so i'm sure with jimmy johnson same type of thing especially with like two and a half mile circuits just getting used to all the different braking points and whatnot yeah oh yeah i mean i, I can only imagine uh, how, how much and that's the thing it's probably worse for a guy like jimmy who goes and races somewhere that he did race with a stock car because he's got these big old heavy stock car braking points mm. in mind <laughs> and then he gets in something that actually stops on a dime yeah that's and true. uh and it just totally messes with his head so yeah uh, I think most of those tracks were fairly unique to uh, to Andy, but it certainly wouldn't do him any favors to go somewhere where he had raced before. Right. You know? And, and so just the thought just pattern, totally right? Weird. Just breaking yeah. old habits, right? Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, no, it's, uh, that one's getting going here. They've done all the F1 car releases. Mm-hmm. People are nerding out over, uh, over the people, designs. Like person these. named Eric? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, a lot of people out there talking. Okay. <laughs> Okay, Stogie, Stogie Bowman as well. He's, uh, he's yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah. Okay, we're talking about push rods and pull okay, rods. Okay, two people, two people. I'll give them credit. <laughs> two guys, all right. It's <laughs> cool. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, that, that, I'm expecting that one's going to be a big year. Uh, that's going to be a really big year for those guys, I think, because uh, with the, the revamped rules, they figure that they've decreased the uh, the turbulence or the the car's reliance mm. on clean air okay when following they've decreased it by like 60 percent nice and it's not just some idiot doing that it's ross braun the guy who engineered a lot of michael schumacher's uh, championships right so and, and really helped build the mercedes team to what it is today okay uh so it's not just some dummy who's putting that together so you know fingers crossed the theory is always a little different but uh uh, I'm thinking that uh, that's it's going to be interesting and, and hopefully make the racing better. It's a lot to look forward to in 2022. That's for sure. Absolutely, but uh, yeah, I guess uh, let's let's jump into this interview here. I think we had a, a great chat with uh, with the guy we've been trying to get on for a little while now. Right. So it was good to uh, to finally catch up with him. Quite the veteran that uh, that we got uh, lined up here. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a fun one. So let's let's jump right into it. Always. Well, for our next guest on Bench Racing Radio, we're bringing with us one of the most famous and accomplished drivers from the Winnipeg area. This guy has got over fifty-six track and series championships to his name, and over two hundred and fifty feature wins. Happy to have you on the podcast, Mike Balkin. How's it going, buddy? Oh, fantastic, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, uh, we appreciate you uh, making the time to come on. How's, uh, how's the weather down in Daytona? It's fantastic. We've been very blessed. We've had some good weather and uh, some, some really good memories we had the last few days and excited to be here. Yeah, that's great. We'll, uh, I'm sure we'll touch on, uh, on what brings you down there here in a little bit, but we'll get started like we always do. We'll, we'll go back to the start. And uh, talk about how you how you got your start in racing and and you know where uh, where it all began. What's the first memory you ever have of, of being at the racetrack? Well, probably um, I was seven or eight years old. Um, couldn't wait to run up the hill at Winnipeg Speedway to watch on a regular night. And uh, back when I was a kid, watched the races. And uh, there's one driver in particular I used to go after the races, talk to him, and he. And he gave me any time I wanted. He talked to me about anything, and that was Mike Swanger. He was number 10. And uh, my dad and I watched and enjoyed it. And uh, when I was 10 years old, I started racing go-karts. Same with Amber. She was 10 when she started. And we started from 10 to 15, and then when I was 16, my dad said, well, you sell your go-kart, you sell your goal equipment, and you're on your own, buddy. So we, uh, we started racing at that time, which was a super late which at that particular year, they switched to late models and kind of amalgamated the class, I should say, not really switched. but So we basically jumped right into late models and uh, in the early to mid-80s. And, um, you know, it's been a lot of fun. We've been around a lot of good people, and uh, it wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, so, you know, to give the folks an idea of what a late model really was, like what would that class be most comparable to in today's 
racing was it was there a lot of fabricated would, stuff did you have to have very much of the frame or was it pretty it, it was just it was just changing so they just went to two front clips so my super stock which i had originally bought uh, by a guy named ken divine who built the car in winnipeg it was a stock front clip and you build it from there and it had a four nine inch in it so that's the car i bought that winter and then over that winter they amalgamated and called them super late so basically we had you could run your, your, your clip car, but everybody's running tubular front chassis uh, with like a two-by-three chassis, and they were how third designs kind of copies back in them days. And that's when we got into, they were leafer, uh, leafer suspension and, um, you know, tubular control arms in the front. That's when technology really started going, is, was when I kind of started. And that's when Rayburn was the, was the guy who was started basically innovating dirt late models, and everybody was just following along with what he was doing. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. And I saw that you you saw your post there when uh, when CJ did pass away, that you had the opportunity to work with him a little bit. Tell us a bit about that. Oh, it was great. We used to go down to Whiteland, Indiana, and uh, I'm always most people know me. I always like a deal, and we'd pick up some used cars or slightly used cars. I never ever bought a brand new car from him one time. We just always got some good used cars, and he helped us out. And then uh, shortly after that. Um, it was the late 80s. I got a hold of uh, Ray Callahan, and uh, he was bullet chassis, and he was probably one of the biggest mentors I ever ever raced with in my life. He's just a super cool guy. Him and I would talk hours and hours in the evening, and it might not always be about race, it's just about life. And he was just an early innovator of uh, of dirt late models, like C.J. Rayburn, and he basically gave Mark Richards at Rocket Chassis his start. He gave a lot of guys their start because they were all dealers for bullet chassis, and that we ran those cars for a long, long time. And then uh, when Ray lost his son, Brett, and kind of backed out the business, we kind of got uh, involved in early 2000 with um, the master built guys with Keith Masters. And he's a good friend of mine and had a great relationship with him. And then uh, we got into the late eighties and uh, we went with victory circle out of Bakersfield, California and had a great time with him. And in and, and that early infancy, we worked a lot with Ronnie Stuckey over at Black Diamond Chassis. And him and I got to be good friends in Louisiana. And uh, since then, Ronnie and I have been really good friends, hung out here this last week. I helped them out with their team. And I just uh, thoroughly enjoy the people I've met on the chassis side of life. It's been, been a great memories, good times, and uh, never, ever was a bridge burnt. It was awesome. Really good people. I talked to Tater Masters last week over at, at East Bay and uh, got to sure Miss Ray. And of course, uh, Losing C.J. Rayburn, he was definitely one of a kind. I, I could do a whole podcast on just stories about him, but he was he was the the first innovator of the dirt late model. He started it all, and uh, he's truly a legend. He'll be missed. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, do you have do you have just one story with uh, with Rayburn there that you'd like to share? Well, a lot of the stories I'd have to tell you can't really be even printed, but I know there's there's nights <laughs> we'd be working in the shop, and then we'd have some something to eat and we go back to the house and we'd have a few beers and stuff. And he goes, we need to go to the bar. And he had a limousine and we hopped in the bar and, uh, back in Indiana, there, the bars ain't real big. And we'd pull up to a bar that maybe held 80 people and we'd walk in there. And it was like, he was the president of the United States when he walked in, everybody knew CJ and he bought every round and, and showed you a good time. And, and man, he, the stories he tell, told. And then I can remember one story in particular, just came back right now. We go back after the bar and he'd be sitting in his chair and he'd tell a story. And all of a sudden, he starts snoring and then we'd have to wake him up to keep telling us the story. And, and, uh, yeah, CJ was a character, very hospitable and, uh, very, very much his own man. It was his way or really no other way. And, uh, he, he did what he did. And, and when he lost a lot of good drivers, but he'd always say they'd always come back and they usually did. And for him to do what he did for the decades and decades, it's uh, impressive. And, uh, it, it, the racing's changed a lot now. It's, uh, they're not a lawnmower that you, you know, fill the gas and top up the oil and go run. They're, they're constantly got to be tinkered with and stuff, and um, things have evolved, and it's uh, it's quite quite an industry right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, for for something that's changing so much, like how does a guy like you stay on top of that? Do you just are you always talking to your dealers and always just picking up as much as you can, or what's like how, how have you stayed you know at the front end of that for so long? Well, you know what? It's it's all about your relationships, really, because um, right now you can have everybody's accessible to the same equipment. They can all buy the best stuff. If you got money, you just keep ordering what you need. And right now it's about relationships. And back to my PRI story, which is a performance racing industry and trade, trade show in Indianapolis, 
we've been going there for years and I would take an eight by 10 photo of a championship we won and go talk to somebody. And then after a while you meet so many different people, they'll say, I often, I've often said this, I, and I said this to, um, back in the day, I, I hate to drop names, but, um, Jim Logue, which is Spike from Willwood, he was back at AFCO. And I remember saying to him, you know, if every shock in this building was a dollar, which one would you put on your car? And he walked me over to two different, three different people, introduced me and, you know, kind of got us in a relationship immediately. And um, Spike and I from Willwood to this day are still real good friends. Saw him last week at East Bay and, you know, just relationships like you have. And I, I've been fortunate to have product support from spring manufacturers, shock manufacturers and you know, and they'll often send me stuff. Hey, try this. What do you think? And do things like that. And it's, uh, I've just been very, very fortunate. We haven't had to dig deep in our wallets to do what we do. We've, we've had a lot of help from so many product people. And of course, our sponsors over the last, uh, it'll be my 39th year racing this year. And our pro- our sponsors have just been phenomenal. And we've had huge help. And we, we, we race a little differently than some. And we're just proud of what we've been able to do. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, that's so true. You know, I remember one time I, I went and helped you out. Uh, I went and pitted for you down at uh, Superior. When I was going to university up in Thunder Bay. I drove down and and we were hanging out. And I, I asked you afterwards. You, you got me cold beer after we finished after you finished the twin features that night. And I said, Mike, how how the hell did you do this? You know, <laughs> look at what you got. This is awesome. And you got to really know how to explain it at the time. You just did explain it very well there, though, of how you've been able to to get all these these people on board and and you know be getting that help from so many different uh, avenues and, and just putting that all together and to create a winning package like that. That's, uh, that's, it's definitely something. Um, it's, uh, it's been pretty awesome to watch for sure. Oh, it's been fun. And I remember back in the old GB transmission cars, the aristocrat pools cars, you know, um, if anybody's ever around my trailer, come on in. I got a fridge, uh, where I've got, uh, ends brothers. I got Silmac, Wayne Emery and snap on. And those are four companies that have been with me for 25 years or more. There are stickers on my fridge, and they've autographed their name beside it. And those guys have given countless dollars and effort towards our racing, racing team to be able to get us out on the on the road to do what we are able to do every week. And, and, and week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out. So it's tough to, to do, have a good year or a good run, but we've had a damn good run for a long time, and it's it ain't over yet. Yeah, it's great, and, and yeah, still, still performing at the top of your game, and it's it's great to see. So that's uh, that's fantastic. Well, uh, Anthony, I think we'll uh, we'll jump into the first segment there. All right, we can dive right in. All right, Mike, have you ever heard of the misfire round? I haven't, but I'm ready for it. Okay, so this is these are the rules. So you get two options. You choose one of those options. You can't say both. You can't say neither, neither, nor. You don't have to think super hard about it. There's no right or wrong answers. It's just whatever comes up, you pick what you think you would most align to. Sounds good? I'm in. Let's go. All right, number one, the North Pole or the South Pole? South Pole. Number two, sneakers or runners? Runners. Number three, Dr. Pepper or Diet Dr. Pepper? Probably Dr. Pepper. Don't like Number team. <laughs> Number four, The Late Show or The Late Late Show? God, I want to say both, but they're both impressive. Um, I'm going to go Late Show. Okay. Number five, Sunshine shine or Cloud? Uh, sunshine all day long, every day. <laughs> Number six, battleships or submarines? Battleships. Number seven, sprints or late models? Late models all day long. Number eight, dry or tacky? Dry all day long. Number nine, That's an old guy saying that answer. (laughs) That guy that's half my age, I'll give you a different answer. (laughs) It's possible, yeah. Number nine, McPizza or McRib? Ah, pizza. Number no, ten. I'll change what? that to a rib. A rib. Oh, I'll change that to a rib. Okay. I'll go rib, yeah. Okay, number Too ten, sun pizza. <laughs> but it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And number ten, sunflower seeds or peanuts. Uh, you know what? Those are both good. I'll, I used to say sunflower seeds, but I'll probably go peanuts right now. I like peanuts. All right, there we have it. The misfire round. Thanks so much, Mike. My pleasure. So you. Uh, 
you know, one of the questions there, late models or sprints, and, and you went with the lates. Um, you did spend some time racing sprints back uh, a while back. Tell us a bit about that part of your career, how that got into, uh, uh, how you got into that deal. It started the mid-90s. Um, you know, up to that point, we had a lot of fun, a lot of success with late models, and they dropped late models at Winnipeg. And quite frankly, we were just up for a different challenge. And um, I was lucky enough, uh, Jim, or uh, sorry, um, Eric Carlson has been a good crew chief for sprint cars. And we got talking with him and he said he'd come on board. And that's back when we had the Teddy Bob sponsorship and Emory and we had CarQuest um, down in uh, in the U.S. And then also Enns Brothers, which that's kind of when they started was my mid-90s, started sponsoring us. And, uh, of course, uh, Steve Blanche, who's a legendary crew chief and worked with us for years and decades, he came on board and we did that. And it was great. We, um, we had some good rivalries. We worked hard at it. We wrecked a ton of stuff. We blew up a ton of stuff. Um, it was challenging. And, um, you know, we, we had a good time. And I had, in 96, after we had a pretty decent year, 95, um, I had got offered a ride with Wayne Anderson in the nine car in Grand Forks. And I already had received a lot of money from a lot of good sponsors here at home and we could have parked it or went with him. And that was uh, many times in my career, I've had to have loyalty checks or loyalty, you know, times where you just had to be loyal. And uh, we didn't take that ride, which would have probably been a cool ride, but we just kept doing our own deal. And, and uh, that's the most amount of money I've ever burnt through in racing was in those mid nineties. Cause we ran hard, but we, we used up a lot of stuff and we traveled a lot and we won the rookie year and was owed in 95, I believe it was, or 96, one of the two. And, um, I did, had my own ride for two years. And then for the final three years, I drove for John Steinger with JMS and we used our engines and his cars and we had a lot of success. And in 2000, when I quit running sprint cars, cause I'd started driving for Silmic Simmons in the late, late, um, nineties for him. And we had a great time doing that. I just, just went back to that. Now, when I look back at what I did, I, I have no interest in getting back on one again. I can't believe I did it. I, I'm <laughs> glad I did it, but I'm not in a rush to go back there. <laughs> you know, right. it's a young guy's sport. And, and I'll be honest with you, people have asked me this many times. What's easier to drive? And of all the race cars I've driven, by far, a sprint car. Um, mm-hmm. You just got to leave it to the wood and let it go. Let the wing steer on the track. And uh, um, they're, they're easiest to drive, but the, you got to have a set of, kahunas to go you know especially if you want to run the, the cushion of grand forks or, or that ragged edge you got to know that sometimes you might not end up making it around that corner <laughs> but but you say that's the most fun you've ever had in any type of race car though no i, I a dirt late model no? is still the most fun i've had i just yeah. love the way they work and how they are and, and your changes you make and how they react like sprint cars we did have some fun it was good but like i'm telling you we we basically there's multiple times where i had a steering wheel left that was it like this, the seat was repairable and everything else was junk, you know? Yeah. And, um, all my injuries on my body with my eyes and everything else all came from when I ran those cars. And, uh, I know when Amber was running the midget car a couple of years ago, I, I, I told her you can run anything you want, but get out of them damn wing, wing cars or wingless cars, you know, they're hard on you, uh, but they're fun. They're cool. Uh, but I still, uh, the dirt late model preference all day long. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I mean, expand on that a little bit. Like some of these uh, these wrecks that, that that left you with after effects. Like what uh, what are you still dealing with from that? Oh, uh, I have twenty less than twenty percent vision in my left eye. That's why I used to run the bottom okay, and now I got to run the middle of the track because I need a a, fear, a factor to not hit anything, you know. <laughs> and uh, but we've I've had several concussions. We we left the ballpark in Fargo a couple times, and uh, uh, you know I. I remember they had a special, I think it was Hallock one weekend or somewhere around there. And we hit a Ute tire hard and just destroyed stuff. Cedar Lake, I left the ballpark. Um, you know, we had just some nasty ones. And uh, But I was younger then and I was there to win, you know, and you did what you had to do. And I had a lot of help from Eric Carlson and, and the boys to, to, to get us our, our cars back together and keep going. And, you know, it was a good segment of the, my career, but um, it, it, uh, I'm, I'm happy I got out when I did. I'm happy I did it, and I'm not interested in doing it again at all. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. So, you know, over a long career, getting to do so much and travel around, you know, what uh, what's your favorite racetrack you ever raced on? I've been asked that question a lot, and anyone I've won it. You know, we've had 
I've had a great time at, at Vegas Motor Speedway. Um, there's been Manzanita was really cool in Arizona. Um, Tucson's been fun. Uh, you know, I raced a track in Arkansas. Arkansas, Texas is a great little racetrack we ran on. And then we've been, you know, Superior is a cool track in uh, Wisconsin. Um, Ada, I don't mind Ada. Um, but I, I would have to say probably the one I've had probably the most success at, the one I've enjoyed the most and the people the most, and is the raciest place. I didn't care where you start there. has got to be River City Speedway. That place is, is pretty kick-ass. It, uh, multiple lanes, multiple grooves, and uh, at that, that place, I, I probably had the most smiles on my face when I got on my car at that, at that particular track. Yeah, that's uh, that's a common theme amongst uh, racers and fans. I mean, it's just a fan favorite. Doesn't matter what class we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Was that yeah. was that a tricky was that a tricky place for you to initially get around, or did you take to it pretty quickly? Um, you know what? I've always been kind of a bottom feeder, and that place has always usually had a good mud ring around the bottom. And back in the early days when that tire sticking out there, we used to have some success doing that. And since then, it's got a lot slicker, and you can really move around and roam around. And of course, it gets an early cushion too. And and I, if my car is good, I'll go up there these days and whatever, I got to do whatever, you know, whatever you got to do, but that place is just so racy. And, you know, if you start bad, you don't have to worry about, well, if I'm starting 12th, I'm going to end up eighth or ninth, you know? And, uh, I, I just really dislike one lane tracks and I know that promoters do their best every time they can, but that place is pretty racy and there's been a lot of like real cool places. Uh, Jamestown's another fun track that, that I love running on. And we've been lucky enough to go to a lot of a lot of cool places, you know, really, really, really cool places all over the country and met a lot of cool people. And, you know, it's been, it's been fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, there's one story that I remember hearing about you, uh, way back when that the, uh, the Red River floodway was your personal testing ground for your, your carbs and engines. Is there any yes. truth to that rumor? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. We had one end was flat and the other one was banking and we used to just go use anything we had, whether it'd been a snowmobile, a quad or race car or whatever was ru- uh, running. And we used to, uh, yeah, we used to, that's how I, one one night there, my early deal, we went out with a quad and I ran it. I had a couple of beers, which I'm not proud of, but I ran the cushion there for about 250 laps until I went off the end. <laughs> and uh, that's how I learned how to run the cushion on a quad. It's <laughs> a good uh, good practice, right? It's all that yeah. feel of pushing it but not going too far. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's great. So what's your uh, what's your your plans for for your racing career now? You know you're kind of alluded to uh, you're still going, which is great, but uh, I understand things have changed a little bit for you. So what's what's on this slate here for for Mike Balkin in 2022? Well, I'm as long as I can sit in the chair and see over the dash, I'm still going to drive a car. Um, I enjoy it. I enjoy the, the, like I said the chassis piece of it. I love. Um, I'll say this much, this last couple of years of COVID, it, it's been nothing but good for, for me because it's given me an opportunity to look out different windows and do different things. You to understand for over 35 years, I've been doing the same freaking thing every week, every month, every year. And, mm-hmm. uh, so it's got us an opportunity to do different stuff. And I, I will never, ever race 40 or 50 nights a year again. I will never winter race again. Those days are over. And, uh, I've, I've got, uh, I told my wife, uh, when we were driving home yesterday from Daytona, I said, you know, this is, this is a great transition for me because I can follow Amber and watch what she's doing and, and just be proud to, to see what she's, what, what her chapters are coming up. And we had probably one of the coolest last two weeks of my life where two weeks ago at their wedding, we had a phenomenal day and week. And, uh, this last week at Daytona with the practice, the, the qualifying and the race and her running so well. And, you know, it was just really cool. And as uh, long as I'm around good people and uh, racing, I'm good. So my plan is to have my car still. I'll race when I can, where we can. We have no schedule, just whatever. Uh, as much as Amber racing, Amber's racing, I can follow is what I hope to do. And my wife and I plan to do that. And we're just going to, you know, play by ear. We're lucky. Uh, we're going to a couple weeks to go to, Phoenix and then Talladega and then uh, Kansas and Charlotte. And uh, the spring is kind of be at home there and we'll, uh, we'll see what happens, but I, I will be racing here and there. We'll probably hit forks once or twice and uh, a couple of NLRA shows and the sites and maybe a couple of shows at home. We'll see and just, uh, just see what happens. No, no set schedule. 
Yeah. How uh, how many shows a year do you anticipate needing to do to be able to to stay in that competitive uh, flow of things? Well, and I, we, the crew and I talked here before I went away. I said, guys, you know, if we're going to run eight, 10, 15 times a year, you got to realize we're not going to be where we once were. And mm-hmm. I'm not that guy either. You know, mentally, uh, I, I, my, my biggest thing is eyesight. I'm probably in better shape now than I was 10 years ago. I really work at my, my eating and my, my physical, you know, uh, piece, uh, my body right now, I've, since my heart attack, I've really taken a different look on that. So I'm, I'm healthy, but, um, man, you get in your fifties, you just, your eyes aren't as good as they were. And you're, you don't want to shove it in the hole cause you don't want to fix it, you know? So you're just right. not that guy, but, uh, I'm, I don't mean to sound arrogant when I say this, but I got nothing to prove anymore. I just want to go out there and enjoy myself and, and be competitive and have fun. But I know that the, the good old days are, they're behind us and I'm, and I'm good for that. Yeah. And are you, are you mentally okay with that means not winning as much or is that are you still, yeah. you still got to notch the W a couple of times a year kind of thing, you know, I, I've, never went a year without a win so it'd be disappointing if we did that but you know what it is what it is it's evolution you know time time passes and uh if you said hey uh, mike would you give up a win for for one for amber I, i'd give up 10 of my wins for one for her right now so mm-hmm. i'm good we've i've got no no regrets it's been been a damn good ride yeah oh that's that's awesome man well, that moves us into the in the driver's seat segment. Um, so I got six questions for you this time, Mike. Uh, these can be multiple stories or just one, uh, and we can follow up, whatever. Um, just want to get to know what it's like to be Mike Balkin uh, in a race car and some of your experiences. So we'll start with number one. And uh, which driver did or do you have the most fun racing against? That's easy. John Sykes. John Sykes and I were really good friends. And, and one of the things that I, I, I think racing's lost a bit is, is that competitive friendly rivalry and him and I would really battle hard on the racetrack, but after we'd have a beer, we'd go for dinner, we'd chit chat, you know, we talk on the phone all week long, but when we got to the track to run the feature, we strapped our helmets on and we, we didn't like each other until the helmets came off. And I, I, I thought of this story the other day it was funny because uh one night we were racing i forget where uh, but we we were after the race we were having a beer and he says balkan i'm gonna kick your ass tomorrow when i pass you i'm gonna wave as i go by you and I go, you just do that <laughs> well was, the next night we were at Greenbush, and i was leading and there was five or six laps to go and that son of a bitch passed me on the bottom went down the back straight and waved at me <laughs> <laughs> and i laughed you know i said and I just like memories like that you can't you can't make up you know and uh, I'm sorry we lost him. I can't believe it's been 15 years. And we just, uh, we, we got to be good friends. And, and that whole NLRA group that, that, you know, the original Tom Corcoran, you know, John Bittner people that got that deal going, we traveled as a, as a basically a circus. We'd stop. Um, I remember in the morning, everybody get up and Amber was out making them all pancakes, you know. And uh, it was just back when, you know, another, another great guy I raced against. And my ex, my brother-in-law, unfortunately, passed away is Troy Olson. He's awesome, and we, him and I, had a lot of fun together, and uh, just the memories we did and traveling with, uh, you know, Sang, and just all the, the different people that came in and out through all those different years. We just had a lot of fun, and um, you know, there was so much more respect back then. I found, but I, I kind of get where it's gone, but I don't like where it's gone, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right, number two. What went through your mind the first time you jumped into a car and started your first race? God, it was early 80s, and I um, was in a mechanics race at the Speedway, and I was running second, and I doored the guy for the win, and I said, I need to do this for the rest of my life. And the first probably 10 years I raced, I did a lot, a lot of dooring guys for the win, until I realized that if I was going to make friends, I better stop doing that. So I calmed down, and uh, that's when we started winning some championships, because you were finishing races, not, not uh, tearing up your stuff. If you ain't first, your last uh, mentality kind of shook out. <laughs> What's that? The ain't, if you ain't first, your last mentality was shaken out of you over time. God, I still hate losing. I just do. I just, um, <laughs> I just don't like it. But, but heck, there's loser. second, there's not. third, there's fourth. <laughs> Hell, there's even fifth, you know? It's just hard to admit yeah. that until later on, hey? 
It is, I guess, but I just don't like it. It's very important every time we got in the car to win the race, and that was important. And uh, I, I don't think that'll something I'll ever get over. I just, I'm, I just, I'm not a good, I'm not a good loser. I like to win. <laughs> well, it's like like AJ Foyt said, right? Like, show me a guy who's a, a good loser, and I'll show you a loser. Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's. Uh, no, I, I just don't, uh, it, 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 every day, uh, you know, you run second or third, you're just mad because you didn't, you knew what you didn't do right or you didn't whatever, but you just, you, you play it over and over again. Yeah. Number three, if you went three wide with one lap to go, which spot would you prefer to be in the inside middle or outside and why? I think you guys all know that it's on the bottom. <laughs> we've, we've, we've had a lot of wins off the bottom. And like I said earlier, my eyes are not as good. So I, you know, if there's room to move, like if those those uke tires are getting are getting my nose and my bumpers here as I get a little older, but uh, I like to actually, I'd rather have it slick and just run through the middle. But I would say if you have, uh, the question is the bottom. All right, number four. What do you do in the car just before you drive out of the pit stall? Um, usually just always uh, grab my steering wheel, make sure it's locked on good, hold pull my belts down, and. Uh, Sometimes I'll say a little something to me or whatever, just to, to get myself rolling if I got any concerns mentally. But uh, just when with the, the time you pull in the racetrack to the time you leave, you got to have a positive mental attitude. You got to keep upbeat and know that you're there to win and get the job done. And you can't think twice about that. You can't question that. You just got to know that that's what you're there to do. And I know it's fun. And, but you've spent so much time in the shop to get that thing ready to get to there. The point of when it pulls out in the feature, you're there to make the best out of all the time you spent on that car. That's a good answer. Uh, this one, I, I mean, you've raced a lot of big races. Um, so you're going to have to go deep into the library here, but number five, what race would you consider the one that got away? Ah, that's a good one. Um, probably. I'm trying to think it was 1986. 1986. And I was two years old and don't remember anything <laughs> <Yeah>. about it. <laughs> 1986, I ran second at the Jamestown Stampede to Rod Drew. And in 2015, I had a straightaway lead with under 10 laps to go. And I broke a drive shaft. And I never have won the Jamestown Stampede. We've won a lot of races at Jamestown, a lot of memorable races, but I've never won the stampede and uh I'm, I'm disappointed in that and then of course the easy one is the sites we've have never been close we've had top tens but we've never been in the top five and i don't know why we've had a lot of success at river cities but uh i'd love to win that one and but we weren't even close yet nothing that we were even close to that got away if that makes sense is it the length of the race that's thrown you off a little bit to be able to succeed in a long run you know what? Um, at times I thought like we had different strategies. Some of them was, you know, run hard and then come in and change your tires. And some of them was just easy on your tires. And I just think that there's so much talent at that race. You know, I know AJ Demo's kind of stunk it out a little lately here with some wins, but there's so many good cars there. And, you know, back when, you know, when I used to run the players 100, I never finished a players 100 until the last one and we won it. And then we won multiples after that. And to order to win these races, you got to finish them. And we were, weren't capable of doing that. And then we started winning them once we finished them. And, but back then in the Players 100 days, there was four or five guys that could win that Players 100. Now they go to the John Sites, there's 14 or 15 guys that can mm. legitimately win that race. You know, So the level of competition, even here, if you look at, uh, we were just in Florida, and you know they went seven different winners at Volusia. And I don't know how many they had over the three weeks of racing, but it's just so competitive. Everybody's got the same stuff now. For somebody to go dominate, it's it's not easy, you know, and especially how Wazota does it with their point average thing. You know, you run a short lap race at any of these tracks and you start, you know, ninth or 12th, it's hard to get to the front. You got to be, you can't be two or three tenths better. You got to be five or six tenths better to get it done. And they're just, it's tough to do. And I commend the guys that have done it, you know, I do. And it's always easier to go from 20th to 10th than it is to go from 10th to 1st. Absolutely. 100% agree with you. That's very true. Yeah. Very All true. right. No number six, if you could sit down with one or up to three people from any time in motorsports, who would it be and why? Well, you know, I mentioned him earlier, Ray Callahan. 
um, you know, was just such an innovator on dirt late models. And him and I had a lot of, a lot of good chats and I, I'd love to sit down with him, you know, and, uh, probably one of the coolest guys ever is my father-in-law, you know, Luke Kennedy. He, uh, him and I had the best relationship for close to 40 years and we lost him a year and a half ago. And, um, when Amber is racing this weekend at Daytona, I would have killed to have him stand there with me because him and I stood there four years ago when Amber ran New Smyrna and we just, we shared a really cool smile together and a lot of, a lot of good times. And I, I would, I would really like to hang out with him. And last one, he wasn't racing, but he's the coolest guy my, I've ever met in my life. And that was my dad. And your dad was, that was Gerald Balkin? My dad was, well, Mo, they called him Mo. His name was actually Michael Balkin, but everybody called him Mo. And he was the opposite of me. He wasn't aggressive. He was just uh, laid back. And he, um, he had a different upbringing than I did when I was brought up. I, I've told this story again. I'll say it real quick to you guys. I was a goaltender back in the day. And the first game, I would get a shutout. And I'd hop in the van on the way home. And he'd say, good job, Mike. Good game. The next game, I'd let in four goals in the first period. And I'd get yanked. I'd hop in the van and he'd say, good job, Mike. Good game. So there's some lessons there. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks so much for that. That was some really good insight, uh, Mike. And that's it for the, uh, in the driver's seat. Um, I got a question for you. Remember when you came to Emo Speedway in 2013? Thanks for doing that, by the way. Um, that was really nice to have the NLRA at Emo. That was a ton of fun. And, And just don't mean to interrupt you, but to go back to, you said two or three or maybe, you know, whatever. One last guy, John Sites. Mm-hmm. I, 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 even if it's one beer. Um, and we could just go through a couple, couple of old times because, man, I, that's another whole hour podcast and the stories that I had with him, you know. Um, John Sites was, was awesome. But back to Emo, great track, good time, lots of fun. The fans loved it. Um, that was a good time. Loved it. I've been there before back in the 80s, too. Back when Tom Nesbitt, Joel Kreiderman, and us, uh, we, right. we showed up there for a race. I don't remember what year it was exactly, but I remember being there as well. Right. And funny thing about Tom Nesbitt, I sat and talked with him a couple weeks ago at East Bay, and uh, I sat with him, and if you guys ever remember Jerry Inman, uh, D7. He's from down near the Mississippi area, and we, we sat and ch- chatted for a, you know, a little while in the afternoon, and, and I went back and I told my wife, I said, I was just at, I was just at my future meeting what I'm going to be one year, you know, or one day. So <laughs> it was cool to hang out with those guys. Cause back when I started, Tom Nezzo was a man and I, I bought my first Rayburn from him back in the early eighties. So it just, uh, cool to have these friends for all these years and, and all the stories. It was, it was great. Yeah, no, I mean the, the careers that those guys had, you know, to be, and, and to see the change. I mean, you've seen a lot of change in your career, but you know, Tom's was, it was even longer back, like way, way back when. And then he was still running competitively into the two thousands, you know, like the the level of change that he saw in the name in, you know, in that time period, I just can't even imagine, you know? Well, he, he originally taught me about work ethic and maintenance and your stuff and making sure it was right. You know, we traveled with him earlier in my earlier career and and seeing what he did to, to make sure he could do well. And that we kind of followed that and, you know, I got to give Ricky Weiss credit. You know, uh, we mentored him when he first got it going and to, to, to see what he's making right now and tackle with building cars and racing at the level he's at and uh, the effort he's put in. Um, he's had success because he's busted his butt because uh, you can have everything, but you have to apply yourself and work hard and line yourself with the right people. And he's done that. You know, he's got J.R. Haley working with him and they've done a great job. And I've, uh, I've admired how he's busted his ass and, and doing what he's done and I wish him nothing but the best because he's our he's our next generation yeah absolutely you know it's so easy for people to sit there and say oh okay he's quick because he's got a lot of money or whatever but you know one thing that they don't see behind the scenes is that every one of those guys who is super quick they bust their butts behind the scenes I guarantee it you know that doesn't happen by accident you can't just go buy a fast car that's always just going to be at the pointy end of the grid that's that, that's yeah. not the way it works because everyone can go buy that fast car. It takes it a lot can. of work to keep it's it there. Yep, yeah, it sure is. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Right on. So where where do you see the sport headed right now? You know, it's kind of at a different transitional phase, I would say, where where things are at. With feels like dirt's picking up traction, but uh, 
I don't know. What's your take on, on dirt racing as a whole right I, now? I think the sport itself on a higher level is picking up amazing, you know, and this is to do with, I think that uh, COVID in a way is, is let people just kind of look at what they're, what they really like doing and different things like that. But, you know, the dirt late model piece is, is strong. The good paying races is strong. And, this whole uh, pay-per-view thing is taking it to another level because they're making their payoffs are increasing and their, and their grandstand isn't. So the money's got to come from somewhere and it's the pay-per-view numbers. And, you know, for instance, the Wild West shootout in Arizona, you know, they, they didn't have a great crowd, but they had, you know, thousands of, of followers online that are, they're paying sitting from home because when it's 20 below in the middle of January, you got nothing else to do. You're going to sit with your buddies and, and watch some racing on TV. And, um, so that's changed it. You know, the local deal, um, I guess the part that pisses me off the most is if, if, if your tracks can't afford to run that class, then don't have it. Don't expect the racers to always show up and race for peanuts. And mm-hmm. that's the part that probably I, I get the most aggravated with. And I'm, I'm over that, you know, that, that part of it I'm done. Either pay the guys what they're worth or don't have one of the two or, or get that TV money and get more money and, and build it up or run, you know, fewer races and special and, and, We'll see how this other XR deal goes. You know, they're paying a bunch of 50 grand wins. But what it's done is brought the Lucas money and the one wall money up. So those guys are all getting more now. So, and believe me, this sport is not cheap. It's a very expensive sport. The manpower, the people, uh, the time, the energy, the equipment, it's at a, at a level I've never seen. And I don't mean to say this negatively, but I'm glad I'm on my way out, not on my way in, because it's uh, to be a competitive team right now the effort and i just work with the team for two weeks it's it's insane the amount of manpower and and and, and knowledge and, and that it takes and, um the technology is out of control right now which is good and bad the people that can figure it out are going to win some races you know because when i started racing it was all about how many how much horsepower you had and you know would your car turn well now it's all about getting that car into the racetrack and the technology and it was Back in those days, it was 80% driver, 20 car. Now I would say it's probably the exact opposite way. You got to have a good car. Mm-hmm. A good car will be a good driver. You know, um, it just it just will. Well, yeah, no, that's there's no argument there. You know, one one thing that I thought was pretty interesting was looking at at it this way. You know, 20, 30 years ago, there were still ten thousand dollar to win races, but the cars would cost you know ten thousand to build back then. We're still looking mm-hmm. at ten thousand to win in a lot of these races, but you know, cars have gone six, seven, eight, nine times that. Um, you know, is that? Uh, but it seems like it's trending the right way. You know, with the the payouts going that direction, is that? You know, do you kind of agree with that? That it that well, does need to go back that way. Numbers. It's, you took this to, a, to the bank with your business plan and said, this is what I want to do. They wouldn't lend you a dime. I can tell you that, but <laughs> a lot of us in, in this sport are here because we love it. We enjoy it. And we're here for the people. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is no different than Amber's deal. She's been out of a ride cause she didn't have the money. And there's two ways you're racing. You either come for money or you get the money. There's no third option, you know? Right. Um, uh, and, and just, it, it just, you gotta have, you gotta have all the, the, uh, the components to make, make a, make it all happen. And, um, you know, those 10 grand to win races before, like we're racing for the same money uh, locally here that I did when I started. And I bought my car turnkey race ready from Tom Nesbitt back in the, in the mid eighties for $8,800. Well, now a dirt late model frame is eight grand. We haven't even bolted a part on it or painted it yet, you know? So, um, but you know what? It, it, technology has taken off. We were buying hundred dollars shocks, you know? So, um, it's just, uh, it is what it is. And, you know what, it's only going to continue to evolve and uh, the big money teams are going to have the best drivers and the best equipment, the best cars. And uh, the creams are always going to rise to the top, you know, and that's just how it's going to be. It's, it's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's, uh, there's ways that they've tried stopping that and, and, uh, and reversing it. And so far they haven't found a good one that works. <laughs> well, like the, I don't want to get a negative thing, but the B mods is a great thing. Like promoters dream get 30 mm-hmm. of them out there, pay them nothing. And those poor guys got as much more than in their cars than anybody in the pit area. But I, I, I like to keep all my discussions positive. So we'll just carry Yeah, on. absolutely. Absolutely. What are you saying? So, it's not a positive when people spend <laughs> lots of money? Uh, well, I guess it depends. I just, when you're, when you have that much invested to race what you're racing for, 
it's just, it's hard to see. And I'm only saying that because I've done this a long time. You know what I mean? Um, I think, I think it's the ever going debate of, uh, how, you know, how people perceive racing differently. Like there's so many different people that view what racing means to them in different ways. Uh, for some people, it might be just spending the most amount of money just to, to look like you're the, the fastest or the best or someone who, uh, you know, I can even think with, with my own brother and my father, you know, they don't buy, you know, the best of the best. They buy a little bit of an older chassis and they want to see if they can compete with some of these newer chassis. It's more of like a, uh, a different type of competition to them. Or you see other people who, who might start with a mid range, vehicle and eventually go or some people say i don't really care what the payouts are as long as i am having fun right like there's just so many You're different right. perspectives totally agree with you 100 percent. yep 100 percent. that's why racing is is racing you know because it, it takes all those people to make it work that's right mm-hmm. yeah yeah so uh so yeah tell us a bit about uh about your daughter's career and and where where she's at now and what's what's on the schedule for her for 2022 well, right now it's, it's in a real good spot, you know, and, uh, when she decided to do this asphalt route, you know, she, she just graduated, uh, from Red River, got her business degree and she was, uh, came home and said, mom and dad, I just want to race. And I said, well, cool, but this ain't going to be easy, you know, but, uh, she's been down there digging. Um, you know, she's had some huge peaks and valleys, um, back in, in uh, 16, I think it was when she won that NASCAR race down there. It was great. And she thought the crew was going to take off and, you know, and there, and it went up and then it went down and then COVID hit, and, you know, before COVID hit, we, we had a, a good deal lined up with sponsors and that died. And so, you know, she's been, it's been some real tough times and she's been out in North Carolina alone, just trying to figure out ways to make it. And, um, you know, fortunately her fiance, which is now her husband supported her hundred percent and, he had a great football career and then he got injured and he was getting surgery. So the two of them have been going through highs and lows together. And it, and I, I have appreciated as a father, the way they've supported each other and worked through it together and been there because they're both in competitive sports and, uh, they both through it has highs and lows. And, you know, right now they just got married. Uh, he just signed with a new football club and his injuries are hopefully passed. And he's, you know, he's all got all new parts in his legs now. And, uh, that's good in her career. You know, she's got the full Menards Arca uh, season with IconDirect.com and Glad McLeod back in her. And she's got a great, uh, awesome team of Red Jones Racing. Um, they got some help from Ford. Uh, she's just got some help from, from uh, Bush Light. Um, there's just a lot of positives right now. So, you know, they went from getting married to uh, running Daytona. And now we got, you know, Phoenix, Talladega, and the whole season ahead of us. So, you know, things are pretty bright for her right now and i'm excited for her and proud how she's busted her butt to to do what she's you know to do the marketing piece of it i always told her if you want to drive a race car the money you're going to make is when you're standing outside that race car that hopping in the car is going to be your enjoyment or your prize at the end of the day and um i just she's turned into be a great entrepreneur a great businesswoman um you know and she's 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 worked i've seen her work real hard for this and uh as a father, uh, her mom and I could be proud of her, just super pumped uh, of her efforts. And, uh, you know, we'll see how far this goes. You don't know. But um, she's done it on her own. It wasn't because of mom and dad or it wasn't because of anything. She just had uh, true grit and grinded through it all. And just super excited for her and just uh, happy to see what happens next. You know, just uh, just really pumped. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh it's great to see, you know, I'm sure she graced everybody's, uh, everybody saw her on the Daytona 500 broadcast with the, that Bush light spot. That was, that was pretty awesome. And, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's good to see that she's getting a proper crack at it this year. So be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, it's been good. And she's, like I said, she's, she's had some tough times, but opportunities gain opportunities, which gain opportunities. And that's, that's in the, you know, the trajectory she's going now. And, uh, we're uh, like I said at the wedding. We're we've been watching a cool movie, and we're, we can't say to can't wait to see what happens next. Mm-hmm. Well, like this has been awesome. Thanks for uh, for taking time out of your your busy uh, semi-retired schedule and uh, having a chat with us. We really appreciate it. I enjoy it, guys anytime, and uh, thanks for what you guys do for recent. It's 
all of people like you guys and like the dirt on dirts and all the different, you know, people that work behind the scenes to keep it out there and, uh, you know, keep it going. It's, it's a fun sport, a lot of good people and, um, just fortunate you had me on and just want to thank all the great sponsors that helped me for the last 40 years, the crew, you know, back in my early days at Jim Gorley for about 10 years and then Steve Belanger for 15 or more. And then lately here, Tommy Howard, Brian Howard, like I just had, the crew I've had helped me over these, this, this racing deal has been gigantic. You know, Harry Klaus helped us for 15 years. We just had so many different guys, um, uh, that have helped work with us, um, and helped us out uh, and, and the people you met on the way and, and the sponsors. It just, I, I'm truly grateful for all the help over the years. Yeah, no, it's, uh, a guy can't do it alone. Absolutely. And it's, uh, I'm sure that 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 help that they've given you has made it all all possible. So yeah, it's great great to see that kind of support out there. It's awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Mike, and thank you to each and every one of you for listening to another episode of Bench Racing Radio. We hope you enjoyed listening to Mike Balkin as much as we did, and we will catch you next time on Bench Racing Radio. Thanks for listening to Bench Racing Radio. Like and follow our social media handles. Facebook at Bench Racing Radio. Twitter at Bench Racing Rat One. Or Instagram at Bench Racing Radio.